0: morning dear friends and soldiers we are back in hebrews chapter 3 today we're going to pray and thank god for his kindness and lord jesus we want to say thank you to you for your amazing kindness your love for us lord as we look at these verses we are absolutely blown away at just who you are and your magnificence and lord we pray today that that will become such reality to us and these won't just be empty words, but we'll be living and active in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So good morning studio audience, great to have you. And um, so chapter 3 of Hebrews, let's dive in. So we, the heading in my Bible says, Jesus greater than Moses. Good morning Ruth and Chris. So he, so there, we're going to see a real comparison there made by the writer to Moses, who was obviously the top boy for the Hebrew nation. In fact, Hebrews means cross, the ones who've crossed over, as in cross the Red Sea. And Moses, literally, is the defining character in that story, isn't he? Apart from God Himself, who leads them out. Moses leads the people out and they cross over the sea. And so if anyone's a Hebrew, it's Moses. Good morning, Emma. Good morning, Fran. And so he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Sorry, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. Hi, Kathy. So this is really interesting. So Moses is their top boy. And yet they're saying, right, the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, consider Jesus. He is that much greater than Moses than the person who builds the house is greater than the house. So even if we build this most glorious, wonderful house with all the mod cons and beautiful design, everything else, that all came out of our brain, the, cre- the builder or the architect's brain. Therefore, wait, I'm just going to get this recording. So we're in Hebrews chapter 3, just just for the sake of the recording, and we're just talking about Jesus being greater than Moses. So Jesus is that much greater than Moses as the builder of the house is greater than the house himself, itself. And so we might design a beautiful house with oh, the most glorious architecture and great design and all the mod cons but actually that all came out of our own creativity and so therefore the person who built it is that much greater than the house and so jesus is the one who built is building the house we're going to talk about it in a second but i just want to zoom back to therefore holy brothers verse one you who share in a heavenly calling one, there's a lot about sharing in the book of Hebrews particularly in the early um, part it's sharing in the nature of um, we're sharing in Christ we're partakers of Christ we're partakers of the Holy Spirit um, he says in chapter six and he's saying you who share in heavenly calling so together the Hebrews those who are called by God who've crossed over Just like the ancient Hebrews crossed over the Red Sea, they became known as the Hebrews. We, too, are joined in with these Hebrews as we cross over from death into life and we become um, considered part of his incredible family and covenant people. So, right, he says, therefore, holy brothers, set apart ones, special family. There's so much in this. It's all so dense. He says, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The, we have right here in this little verse, such a juxtaposition of Old Testament and New Testament ideas. So we have Jesus as the high priest. They would have understand that so well from the priestly culture of the Old Testament with the rituals of sacrifice and the high priest was able to go into the very holy place where god's presence dwelt and the light and the glory shone and he but he was only allowed to go in there once a year and not without the blood of a sacrifice that was kind of covering him and covering his sins and 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 yet the the writer here is saying that jesus is the high priest, but he's also saying Jesus is the apostle. Now, apostle is a word that we don't ever read in the Old Testament. It's a Greek word. It was used to describe the um, Roman soldiers or the Roman generals who would go out and having won a battle would begin the process of establishing Roman culture in the, the cities that they'd taken. And this is a term that Jesus intentionally adopted to give to the 12 close friends that he then sent out as apostles of the kingdom to establish the culture of the kingdom wherever they went beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and then into the uttermost parts of the earth so this was the mandate Jesus gave to his apostles but this writer is saying (coughs) excuse me that Jesus is an apostle I mean he's clearly the um archetype the perfect image of every ministry that there is in the bible every god-given ministry in the bible it has to be somehow perfect in perf- perf- perfectly seen in jesus and he is this apostle who came from heaven to establish the culture of heaven on earth we have this good morning joyce in action um we have that Words of the Lord's Prayer Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Jesus came and gave us that prayer, which is uh, which kind of talks of his ministry, doesn't it, to bring the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. So, right, lots to think about in there. So, Jesus is the apostle, and he's actually saying, Consider Jesus. And, and then he makes this comparison to him and Moses. And so he's saying Moses was great. He was a servant. Let's look in verse four. It says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So Jesus is the one who builds all things. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's houses as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Well, so we we understand from chapter one of Hebrews that everything was created by Jesus and for him. And now we understand as well that he's building a house And it turns out that this house Jesus was building, he was building in the time of Moses as well. And Moses was actually a servant in the house. Jesus, who had not yet been born in human flesh, pre-existed Moses. Jesus, the son, God the son, was building a house which Moses was part of. Moses served in an incredible way. Jesus is not taking anything away from the The writer here is not taking anything away from Moses, but is making a very important contrast that however great Moses is, Jesus is greater. Jesus is infinitely greater. Jesus is the son. So in chapter one, it says in many times, in many ways, God spoke to us in the past through his servants, the prophets. But now he's spoken to us by his son or through his son, by the means of a son. And Jesus is that son. Right, now, we are his house. He's saying this house, this household, this house that God is building, that Jesus is building, we are this house. We are part of it. Now, the word there, oikos, in Greek, it can mean a house, like a physical house that we literally go into and keep dry when it rains and sleeping. It can be that, but it's also a household like or a family dynasty like we say regarding our king he is from the house of windsor and so we understand that don't we the and so there's this dual meaning here and we are his house he says if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope this is really interesting and i think as we read this chapter we're going to be like whoa gosh this is quite kind of challenging and interesting and the whole lot all at once so he says we are his house if indeed now we love for god's promises to be unconditional don't we so (sighs) We, we, we know that God loves us and that his love is freely given and his nature is love but it does seem as we read the scripture there are various scriptures that kind of should make us cautious about being fast and loose with God's grace and God's kindness and so we shouldn't just presume on it and he's saying here we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope now we're going to see as we go through the book of Hebrews that actually our confidence in in Jesus and in the goodness of God and in the nature of God is really, really important. And that the enemy, the devil, wants to steal our confidence and erode it. Now we looked in chapter 2, we looked about yesterday or day before, we talked about that tendency to drift when we're in the sea if we don't keep the engine on or if we don't row in our boat we will drift if we do nothing and it seems that this is a kind of continuation of that sense of warning and challenge to the Hebrew people the ones who've crossed over to not kind of start getting slack and give up kind of holding on They are, we understand they're under immense pressure at the time of this letter being written. And so this letter is with the purpose of helping them, galvanizing them into action and keeping them on point and ready and so on. And so let's read on and we'll see what we get. So verse seven, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now he's quoting from Psalm, uh, let me see, Psalm 95 there and this is a reference to the time when the Israelites who had crossed over so they were Hebrews they crossed over the Red Sea they were now living in the wilderness with Moses and they were en route to the promised land however because their hearts were hard and they didn't want to believe God and they wanted to moan and complain and they it says that they tested God So they provoked him. He says, verse 10, therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. So, oh gosh, in a nutshell, this nation of slaves had come out through many miraculous signs they'd seen god do the most extraordinary things they'd literally walked through an ocean or a sea at any rate with the water piled up on each side holding their kids hands bringing their bits and bobs along with them that they have brought out of the they'd been they'd hand, had all this lovely clothes on and jewelry they'd been given by the egyptians as they left and they're following this pillar of cloud or this pillar of fire and they they're seeing these most extraordinary miracles every single day and yet when it comes to the points of pressure when they haven't got any water to drink or anything to eat or they're fed up of eating manna that drops down from heaven and they want meat god is upset with them and i i don't suppose for one minute it was a surprise to god that they were going to complain but they did and it says that he was provoked with them. And so we understand God as a father. He's like, you guys, what is the matter with you? And disappointed, I suppose. And yet he wasn't surprised. And somehow God has to deal with these people. And he says they always go astray in their hearts. So they are drifting. They, they, they've they slid back into unbelief and moaning and complaining and they've gone back into instead of living as sons and daughters of God they're living like slaves and they're complaining against the people who seem to be in authority like Moses and God himself and so he says they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways and they had failed to see from the evidence in front of them every single day that God is good and they were constantly complaining that God was not good but actually he was bad and he brought them into the desert to kill them which he clearly hadn't and so verse 11 he says I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest and so we know the story most of us probably how um That whole generation of people lived in the wilderness, God provided for them, they had everything they needed, no one ever got sick, but they didn't make it into the promised land. So instead of going in in the matter of a couple of weeks, which should have been what happened, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years can you imagine the job of poor Moses leading these people around the wilderness for 40 years and they're like haven't we been here before and Moses was like yeah we have this is the point this is because you didn't believe you because you rebelled against God and and it's so interesting because what we started talking about yeah um Two days ago, when we were talking about drifting, drifting seems like a passive, almost default kind of setting if we're not careful. But what we're talking about here is rebellion and hardening our hearts. Really important we understand that there is a process. So verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. That is so profound. There is such a big difference in my little noggin from the process of drifting into a sort of, I'm not quite as sharp, I'm not quite as on it as I was, Two years ago or I remember myself when I just got filled with the Holy Spirit I prayed for anything that moved I literally preached the gospel to a cat I was so on fire for God and, and and now I'm kind of a bit more well you know maybe I will if I feel like it or if I feel inspired and that seems to be kind of like we're a bit tolerant of that kind of slippage and yet what the writer is saying, actually, there is a there's a sliding scale, if you'll forgive the pun, where we can slide from being just where we've drifted a bit away to actually where we have got unbelief in our heart to where we have got a sinful, unbelieving heart. And so the, the, the instruction or the admonition in verse 7 is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, don't harden your hearts. What happens? How does that happen? Think about it. We hear the voice of God and because we're disappointed or because we're tired or because, 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 because this hasn't happened that we hoped for. And there's that, just that jaded kind of mindset and God speaks but instead of us being yes God I hear you I'm on it there's a delay or maybe there's a kind of tendency to just put it onto the back burner as we say and just forget about it and we can start to or or even we can start to harden our hearts and say no I'm not going to do that God says, give this money to somebody or God prompts us to give a chunk of money to somebody and we're like, nah, I don't think I will. And we start to get in the habit of saying, mm, I don't think I'll bother or maybe, maybe oh, well, I'll get round to it. And we lose that sharpness. And before we realise what's happened, our hearts have grown hard. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people <clears throat> start to, develop a relationship with someone outside of their marriage and start to entertain the thoughts of, oh, I don't know, she seems nice and this isn't happening in my marriage, blah, 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 and start to kind of entertain those kind of thoughts and then take some steps to fulfill that, at which point they've started to harden their hearts against God and they've begun to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness and think oh it's still okay i'm still blah 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 i'm still doing this i'm still a good person and then sometime down the road they're identifying themselves as an atheist i've seen it happen of people i've been close to now are identifying themselves as atheists because what did they do they harden their hearts they allow the deceitfulness of sin sometimes we cross a line that god has said do not cross this line we cross it we think i'm still alive Woo-hoo, look at me i'm still alive and we start to be deceived and to think we've got away with it and actually it's not a point of what we can get away with it's the point of staying tender and responsive and alive to god day by day by day, intentionally. Right, now listen. So take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So we're not talking about a little bit of slippage. We're talking about somebody who's falling away. We think it will never happen. It does happen. There are pastors today who were pastors before and now they have abandoned the faith completely. Why is that? Because they've allowed a jaded spirit to come over their own heart. And they've fallen away from the living God. And it's become sin. It's become They've been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. But what does he say here? He says, verse 13, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. So while we're living in this day, today, while you hear, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, exhort one another every, every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sometimes exhortation can be a little bit provocative and a little bit painful because we think, I, well, I don't really want to be exhorted i don't really want somebody challenging the course of behavior that i'm adopting i want to get away with it i want to stay in my little kind of content pasture to drift or my little my little kind of idea that i've created for myself that i think is okay i wanted i want to be free to explore this sin Sorry, Wi-Fi thing jumping in there. So he says, but exhort one another. Now, the word there for exhort is the same word we have for the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's paracletio or something like that. It's along those lines. And what it means is... Calling someone alongside or coming alongside to comfort and strengthen, and so when we see one another struggling with the pressures of life, let's come alongside and speak those words of comfort and exhortation. Let's cheer each other on. I have had I <laughs> I have run a few triathlons, and one the one day I was um, doing. T2 I think which is a transition from the bike to the run and you get you get off the bike you've been riding the bike for 56 miles and you get off the bike and you start to run and it's like there's a whole armchair between your legs and it's impossible to run and your feet feel like they have got no spring that's like they're blocks of wood clunking on the ground and my family were right nearby t2 and they were cheering me on and i'm telling you it was like it it was it was like power came into my body i can't describe any different i got goosebumps i felt like power come into my body and the lady who was near me running as well she said oh wow you're so lucky having that kind of cheering on and and i've run marathons and the same it's like There's my family cheering me on. And it actually somehow provides strength, physical strength, psychological strength, energy to our bodies when someone cheers us on. Let us do that every single day, the writer says. As long as it's called today, that's the the permission you need. As long as it's called today, encourage one another. Get alongside. Cheer each other on. Because actually this process of hardening and deceitfulness of sin is there and we're all vulnerable to it in some way so let's provoke each other cheer each other on verse 14 for we have come to share in christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end this is sometimes really difficult when you're going through an illness that maybe will result in your death or your strength is gone and you're feeling like an old person. We have a guy in the church, he's 93, and he says, I'm walking around like an old man and I'm looking at him thinking, oh boy, you are an old man. But at the same time, he he's ex, his expectation is that he's going to live like a young guy until the day he dies, but when our bodies start to let us down and fail us, and so on, it erode, it can attack our confidence. and And the writer here is saying, actually, sharing we are we have come to share in Christ. We are partakers of Him. We share in Him. We are part of Him. But let's not lose this original confidence, and let's hold that to the end. He says, "There's this conditional thing there. That word if." we are his house if indeed we have come to share in christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence to to the end firm to the end as it is said today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion for who were those who heard and yet rebelled was it not all who left egypt led by Moses the whole generation the whole sorry lot of them except Caleb Joshua and Moses had that evil heart of unbelief welling up inside them and it they gave into it they didn't challenge it they just caved into it and he says with whom was he provoked for 40 years was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the enemy of, it's obvious in a way, isn't it? But it's the enemy of the people of faith. It's that thing that quietly seeps in and cools down our burning heart. It quenches our burning heart. It stops us taking God at his word, it stops us acting out on his promises, it stops us going in and taking hold of the promised land that God has for you and me. Let us make war against unbelief in our hearts, let us encourage one another, while it's still called today, to not allow our hearts to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness and miss out on all of God's promises. So I'm going to pray Jesus, we thank you for this word. It is a kind of like, whoa, it's a bit like a cold shower. It it wakes us up. And Lord, we ask that today you will keep us on fire, alive to you. And that we'll be able to encourage each other and spur each other on. As long as it's called today, let us be sons and daughters of encouragement. Let us be like the Apostle Barnabas who keeps cheering each other on until we get over that finishing line in Jesus glorious name and let us enter your rest and stay in it today amen God bless you lovely people have an amazing bank holiday and I hope the sun shines and we get in that sea Woohoo!